This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Are you in the market for a new vehicle? This year, consumers say bigger is better. I'll check the latest from the auto show. And it's a follow-up to her groundbreaking Unfounded series, which documented how the system was dismissing a high number of sexual assault allegations. I'll talk to Robin Doolittle about her latest book, had it coming. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. By 2060, almost a quarter of all U.S. residents will be over 65, and life expectancy will reach an all-time high of 85 years. That's according to two new reports from the U.S. Census Bureau. The growth in life expectancy in the U.S. over the next four decades is expected to be slower than it was In the previous four, Canada is currently among the top-ranked countries in the world when it comes to average life expectancy, but it could fall to 27th place by 2040 due to improvements in other nations. In 2016, Canada was ranked 17th out of 195 countries with an average life expectancy of 81.6 years. Looking for a restful sleep? Try putting your partner's shirt on or beside your pillow at night. New research suggests the smell of a romantic partner is enough to improve the quality of sleep, even if the partner isn't physically present. The UBC study has even quantified it, an improvement of more than 2% similar to the effect of melatonin supplements often used as a sleep aid. The researchers are now recruiting participants to investigate whether the scent of parents can improve their baby's sleep. That's symphony violinist Dagma Turner playing her instrument during surgery to remove a brain tumor. Surgeons asked the 53-year-old to perform while coming out of anesthesia to make sure they didn't damage her motor skills. The consulting neurosurgeon says that while patients are often asked to perform language tests during tumor removals, this was the first time he had ever asked a patient to play an instrument. Dagma plays violin for the Isle of Wight Symphony Orchestra in the UK and was diagnosed with a slow-growing tumor in in 2013 after suffering a seizure during a symphony performance. She went home three days after this procedure and will be monitored by a local hospital. Continue 1.3 miles, then bear left on Broadway. Do you get lost a lot and have to rely on your GPS? Researchers now think they know why. They've discovered a previously unrecognized brain neuron 
essential for navigation. The finding may help scientists understand how part of the brain, the retrosplenal cortex, navigates distances. And they're now investigating whether these findings are helpful in understanding how Alzheimer's affects these neurons. The findings are published in Cell Reports. And remember, I'm not only the Hitler president, but I'm also a client. The founder and president of Hair Club for Men, known for his TV commercials in the 80s and 90s, has died in Florida. Cy Sperling retired in 2000 after selling his company for $45 million. The company helped more than half a million clients restore hair over the years. Sperling is survived by his wife and two kids. He was 78. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Given today's increasing environmental awareness, you'd think consumers would be looking for smaller and smaller cars. But the clear message from the crowds at this year's auto show is, go big or go home. I chatted with leading automotive consultant, Dennis DeRossier. The Zoomer is the core buying public, and one of the big issues that the industry faces is that it's the youth that are the most environmentally friendly uh, cohort out there. And although the the Zoomer uh, isn't necessarily not environmentally friendly, they certainly are nowhere near the youth. And so when you go to an auto show uh, like the Toronto, it's a fabulous show. It's wall-to-wall electric vehicles. But if you want to find the Zoomers, go and look for the big honking SUVs with an internal combustion engine. That's what they're taking a look at, and that's what they're buying. I seem to be convinced that I'm seeing a lot more really, really big cars. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think car is a misnomer anymore. There are the big pickup trucks, the big SUVs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they're not passenger cars. The uh, What we call light trucks, so uh, pickup trucks, SUVs, and vans. Uh, account for over 75% of the market now. And when you go to a, uh, the Toronto Auto Show, uh, you're going to see wall-to-wall these vehicles on display. And the bigger, the more likely it's going to get front, front uh, center stage. But they're also, relative to the theme of the Auto Show, is diversity. You're going to see wall-to-wall electric vehicles. Let's deal with the size first. Why? Why? Because they're able to. They're not cheap vehicles, and the Zoomers tend to be a higher income class. I focus on the middle word of an SUV or CUV, the word utility. They're higher off the ground. They're built on car platforms, so they have car engineering underneath the skin, so they drive like a car, but they have the utility of, you know, of it being a much bigger vehicle. You can get uh, three rows of seats in the bigger SUVs. You certainly have uh, a lot of space in the back. Uh, when you lift it up, you can fit the whole hockey team uh, back there or the whole hockey team equipment back there. But I think an awful lot of people really like them because they're viewed as safe and high off the ground. I remember a few seasons ago we were talking about Zoomer women, grandmothers buying minivans to get their grandkids in their vehicles but but this is like the this is an upgrade of some sort well 
they're not buying the minivan anymore. It's probably the uh, one of the very few, in fact, the only truck segment that's deteriorating. Uh, in fact, it's collapsing. Uh, what those uh, older ladies are are buying, the grandmothers and even the older mothers, are indeed crossover utility vehicles or sport utility vehicles. Uh, especially if you've got a bunch of kids to run around the three rows of seats. You can, with three rows of seats, you can fit two in the front and three in each of the back two rows. You know, that's eight people very comfortably. And, you know, and if they have bags of stuff, you know, to all of their gym bags, if they're into ballet or hockey equipment or whatever, if they're into a sport of any sort, that'll fit back into the back quarter of the vehicle. And uh, believe me, you, the, the, uh, it is a very, very high female uh, purchasing group. With the Zoomers who are the biggest part of the market, what do they spend on average on a vehicle? The average transaction price is forty grand. Zoomers would be a little bit above that, so somewhere in the 45 to 50 range uh, in your driveway uh, cost uh, for a new vehicle, that is. Uh, the used vehicle would be about half of that, so somewhere in the high teens to low 20s if they're buying a used vehicle. Okay, Dennis DeRossier, thank you so much for being with us. Call me anytime. Bye-bye. That was Dennis DeRossier of DeRossier Automotive Consultants. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. How have attitudes to sexual behavior changed in the wake of the Me Too movement, and why is there a generational divide in the way women think about it? Those are just some of the questions award-winning author and investigative reporter Robin Doolittle asks in her latest book, Had It Coming. She came by our studios to discuss it. This whole book came about after I spent two years looking at how police handle sexual assault as part of my job as an investigative reporter with the Globe and Mail. And uh, maybe about, I guess, eight months after I published that investigation, uh, the Me Too movement broke. And I just wanted to take what I'd learned in reporting on sexual assault and look at it in the broader Me Too movement, because so much of the behavior is not you know, sexual assault. It's, it's There's sexual misconduct, there's inappropriate comments, there's sexual harassment at work. It, it's this whole range of nuanced behavior. And I think what we're trying to do now is figure out the new landscape. I mean, if you polled Canadians, are you pro-sexual assault? Are you pro-rape? People are going to say no, of course. Where we differ is what crosses the line. And that's what we're trying to sort out. And that's what I'm trying to unpack in all these different chapters in this book. There's one aspect of it that I'm very interested in here, and that is the generational mm-hmm. divide. Because women, say older women, boomer women, who consider themselves feminists, a lot of them, a lot of us, think that Me Too has gone too far and also that it kind of negates women taking personal responsibility for Mm -hmm. how they are in the world. Mm -hmm. When I was doing my reporting with the Globe and sexual assault, a lot of the cases that I looked at involved women who were really intoxicated at the time of the incident. And I kept going to events or getting emails from readers and um, particularly women of a certain vintage, as I would say, saying, you know, this is really great and important reporting, of course, and we need to look at this. But 
can we talk about why is it that women are drinking so much and putting themselves at risk in this way? Like, why are we not having that discussion? And I confess that when I would encounter these people, sometimes I would just be like, oh my gosh, that's, that's victim blaming. That's so out of touch. And then I had, from the time that I started doing this reporting, I've had two little girls now and I have a two-year-old and a six-month-old or five-month-old. And when I think of them going to school or high school, going to parties, I'm of course going to have a conversation with them about alcohol and safety. And it, it really got me thinking about understanding people's different perspectives and lived experiences. And I think that's really at the center of the generational divide. Now, we can agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harvey Weinstein is a pig. But we have seen men whose lives basically have been ruined over a lot less than that. So there are certain things, and, and I think you deal with it with that story about Aziz Ansari, the mm-hmm. comedian, and the woman who talked about being, uh, cajoled is probably too light a word, into sex with him or, um, you know, and... I guess a lot of us don't think that even if somebody badgers you yeah. into sex, which is only the, the, is that a criminal offense? Should their lives be ruined for that? I mean, it's, it's gross, but. There are lots of nuances that we understand and that we're talking about now, which is great, um, where it, you don't have to be kind of physically held down to say like, oh, that's definitely a sexual assault. We understand why women who are overpowered can't get up and leave. But now we're starting to understand the role of power in general and power dynamics. If if a boss is pressuring an employee, it's not easy enough to necessarily get up and leave. If someone's really intoxicated, that can add an element. In this case, she wasn't feeling physically threatened. He wasn't her boss. Um, she wasn't intoxicated. But the the point is, is there is a power imbalance in that he's a celebrity. Um, but more importantly, it's just kind of like be a good person. If someone doesn't seem like they're interested, she said that she was sending very clear, nonverbal suggestions she wasn't interested. When you actually get down to, is someone's life ruined? This all goes back to what do we do with people who have committed harm or alleged to have committed harm? And are we as a society capable of understanding these issues on on a gradient, right? Like there's rape on one side and there's maybe a an inappropriate remark on the other and somewhere along there's all a range of behavior and there's a range of consequences. But here's the thing, and this more true on social media, but this whole cancel culture Mm -hmm. is that if you have the wrong opinion, you're going to be vilified. I write about the role of social media in in all of this because on one hand, it's through social media. I mean, it's called hashtag me too because it is a hashtag on social media. Without social media, Me Too could not have happened. Social media leveled the playing field that, uh, you know, quote unquote, regular people can have their say. Um, that's what's really brought about this movement. And on the other hand, it's very much the worst place in the world to have any sort of conversation with people. The interesting thing that's happening now, which wasn't happening before, is that we're talking about it and we're having a bit of a debate about it, which is great. Like, that's what we want is we need to talk about these things. Not everyone's going to agree, but laying all the issues out on the table helps us all have a better understanding. Okay. I think that's a good note to end on. (laughs) Robin Doolittle, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Robin Doolittle. Her latest book, Had It Coming, is shortlisted for the RBC Taylor Prize. 
that brings us to the end of this edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.